Despite that Taiwan has signed up to the COVAX Global Vaccine Allocation Plan, as it turns out, Taiwan's choices of COVID vaccines will be limited. Among the nine vaccines that have entered the third phase of human clinical trials, five are made in either China or Russia and are therefore prohibited. Among the four manufactured in the U.S. and Europe, two must be transported below the freezing point, and Taiwan does not have the needed cold storage transportation facilities. But Health Minister Chen Shizhong promised on Sunday that Taiwan will be prepared to meet the requirements of a cold storage supply chain. The world is looking forward to the day when there is a vaccine for COVID-19. Taiwan has also formally signed up for the global COVAX program to ensure it has vaccine allocation rights. However, Taiwan will not choose a Chinese-made vaccine. For some equipment involving blood and vaccines, we are not allowed to import Chinese products. This is stipulated in the original regulations. Currently, nine vaccines across the world are making faster progress than the rest and are in the third phase of human clinical trials. Excluding four from China and one from Russia, there are still four remaining that are being manufactured in Europe and America. Among them, two need to be transported in ultra-cold conditions, ranging from minus 20 degrees to minus 80 degrees Celsius. Taiwan doesn't possess ultra-low temperature transportation capabilities. This means Taiwan has only two options left. These two require conditions that are roughly the same as our ordinary vaccines at temperatures ranging roughly between 4 to 8 degrees. So there are no problems involving ultra-cold supply chains. Moderna has a little bit of a cold supply chain problem. Its vaccine involves RNA, so it needs to be stored at a comparatively low temperature. That's minus 20 degrees. The BioNTech vaccine should be transported at minus 70 degrees. This temperature is presenting some problems for all countries. Nations that can purchase this vaccine are relatively few. The Centers for Disease Control is still actively searching for solutions to overcome the problem of transportation at minus 20 degrees Celsius. We also need to respond to the need to deep freeze and have this kind of ultra-cold supply chain. So we will keep in touch with the relevant cold storage companies. If a time comes when we will definitely need to use it, we will be prepared. Minister Chen reassured the public that if Taiwan needed to purchase vaccines stored in excessively low temperatures, it would make the appropriate preparations to ensure that Taiwan's right to choose in the vaccine allocation program would not be limited. At the general debate of the 75th UN General Assembly, Taiwan's diplomatic allies continue to call for Taiwan's inclusion in the United Nations. Due to the pandemic, leaders of nations appeared in pre-recorded videos citing Taiwan's accomplishments in fighting the coronavirus and calling for Taiwan's meaningful participation in the UN's specialized agencies and bodies. On the fifth day of the general debate at the 75th UN General Assembly, heads of states continue to voice their support for Taiwan through pre-recorded videos. In a similar vein, the constructive and pragmatic intergovernmental engagement of Taiwan as a responsible advocate for sustainable development and an exemplar of the magnificent Chinese civilization validates the case 
for Taiwan's meaningful participation in the specialized agencies and bodies of the United Nations. The Republic of China, Taiwan, remains a valuable partner for peace, prosperity and development with the fullest respect for the rule of international law. Taiwan has stayed through through its long-standing traditions and has remained its partner in the fight against COVID-19. Allies of Taiwan locally dubbed the three saints, Saint Lucia, Saint Vincent and Saint Christopher, all voiced support for Taiwan. Together with Palau, Paraguay, the Marshall Islands, Haiti, Nauru, Tuvalu and Eswatini, there's been a total of 10 formal diplomatic allies that spoke up on behalf of Taiwan. Belize, Nicaragua and Guatemala are also lined up to speak on the 29th, the last day of the general debate. Honduras has presented a written statement to the UN Secretary General requesting Taiwan's participation. The Holy See, Taiwan's sole remaining ally in Europe, has kept mum as it has done on previous occasions. It is time, once again, give states like Taiwan recognition that they can meaningfully engage in global processes and share their best practices. Taiwan's outstanding performance in the fight against COVID-19 has won the affirmation of members of the international community. The chorus of acclamation sung by various countries around the world is seen as a diplomatic breakthrough for Taiwan. Taiwan has been once again marginalised on the international stage. The Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, an international coalition of city leaders addressing climate change, was first proposed at the UN Climate Summit in 2014 before it was established two years later. It was recently discovered that all six municipalities of Taiwan have been labelled as part of China on the GCOM website. On Sunday, the mayors of Kaohsiung, Tainan and New Taipei all came out to protest the snub. On the website of the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, all six municipalities of Taiwan have been designated as Chinese cities. On Sunday, Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Shi Mai came out to voice his protest. Taiwan has never been part of China. This is not factual. We've been belittled. Yesterday we requested that GCOM rectify this as soon as possible. We also hope that Kaohsiung Taiwan gets its respect. In 2015, the Compact of Mayors, the predecessor of GCOM, also labelled Taiwan cities as part of China. Then Mayor of Kaohsiung Chenju was up in arms, threatening to withdraw from the coalition. In the end, Chinese Taipei was adopted to settle the matter. It's only been a few years and Taiwan is once again listed as part of China. This kind of unilateral action, frankly speaking, goes against trends in global sentiment. We feel this is regrettable. It's a rejection of the people of Taiwan. The name Taiwan has always been used in the activities of GCOM. They've made a mistake in their labelling and we've issued a formal letter to them. We hope that professional-minded GCOM will focus discussions on climate change and not on belittling us. We hope they don't just focus on whom we belong to. 
we issued a formal letter on September 15th requesting that our name be rectified. As cities in Taiwan lodged their protests one after another, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs also joined in the chorus, asking GCOM to change the city's name back to the names that appeared on the original membership application. Taipei Mayor Ko Wenzhou has gotten into a war of words with Southern politicians after a passing remark he made on Saturday. He said that he found it funny that a school in the South had a short circuit after it installed air conditioning without upgrading the wiring. Ko then tried to quell the ensuing uproar by blaming the media for sensationalizing his remark. Still, Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Qimai slammed his Taipei counterpart for lacking empathy. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe also asked if Ke's political party, the TPP, had a policy of discrimination against the South. Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe said sensationalistic media headlines were assassinating him after his remark that a school in the South had a short circuit once their air conditioners were turned on and that they didn't have the money to pay their electricity bills. <laughs> However, going back to the original setting, we can clearly hear the words Kerr uttered. I won't say in which county it was, but when I saw it, I found it very funny. When the whole school started putting in air conditioners, first there was a short circuit because they never bothered to upgrade the wiring. Second, they didn't have any money and so they couldn't pay for it. It was a small class and that was funny. Kerr explained in a Facebook post that his use of the word funny was really meant to highlight the absurdity of the failure to implement policies rather than mockery. He said it was more like he was giving a wry laugh and that he'd never meant to belittle Taiwan's southern regions. However, southern mayors and county commissioners would have none of his explanations. Of course the South is not like Taipei, which is blessed with resources. It should not become a target of Mayor Kerr's ridicule. With his lack of empathy, I don't think I can see eye to eye with him. I think Mayor Kerr should retract his remarks. Mayor Kerr serves concurrently as the chairman of a political party. Could the TPP be advocating discrimination against the South? This isn't the first time. That kind of let-them-eat-cake attitude or that kind of discriminatory and contemptuous tone in his language is something we really can't stand anymore. This is not the first time for Kerr to squabble with the southern leaders and their citizens. The last time was when he said only imbeciles would take a bus in the south. Laughing at a southern school has not only earned him rebukes, but will also make it hard for him to win the support of the southern electorate should he announce a presidential bid. Last week in our Sunday special report, we took a deep dive into the history of China's panda diplomacy. Today we turn to the story of how two pandas named Tuan Tuan and Yuan Yuan made their way to Taiwan despite the tensions across the strait. In 1997, the UK handed Hong Kong back over to China. Both before and after the handover, Hong Kong was given pandas from mainland China. Around this time in Taiwan, a fierce debate was stirring about bringing pandas to the country. Yang Lihua's husband is Hong Wenlong. He was a 
actress Yang Li Hua's husband is Hong Wen-dong. He was saying at the time he was the president of the Animal Association. Very early on, he wanted to bring over pandas. China also agreed. But the problem was the political climate. There were some issues. Of course, those were issues somewhat difficult to overcome. Given the sensitive nature of the cross-strait relationship, as well as the political nature of China's past panda outreach, Taiwan was cautious over the question of whether to bring over pandas. In April 2005, when KMT Chairman Lian Zhan visited China, the issue of pandas for Taiwan was brought up again. We hope that the Taiwanese authorities will comply with the wishes of our Taiwanese compatriots and not do anything that betrays our Taiwanese compatriots. It seems as if we in Taiwan were unable to refuse the offer. For us here in Taiwan, this is very disrespectful behavior. Taiwan's animal conservationists expressed strong opposition to the panda's arrival. Meanwhile, civic organizations raised 300 million NT for a panda habitat, and construction got underway at the Taipei Zoo. Amid political wrangling, three years went by with no sign of the pandas. The main thing is going to be the Washington Convention. Species listed under the site's Appendix 1 can only move within a country's borders. So China, in agreeing to send us pandas, may have had a hidden motive. It was saying, I'm giving you the pandas, and you accepted them. And because a move within borders is implied, Taiwan would be saying it is a local government of China. So accepting the pandas could imply a loss of our sovereign position. In the 2008 Taiwan presidential election, there was a transition of power, with the KMT taking the presidential office. On December 23rd that year, two giant pandas named Tuan Tuan and Yuan Yuan were put on a chartered flight to Taiwan. We came up with a way to facilitate receipt of the pandas. We did it as a city-to-city -city exchange because there are a lot of Chinese medicine ingredients sent on a city-to-city -city basis. On the paperwork, we named the city as the export destination. The city listed as importer was Taipei. In this way, we solved the problem. We did it as an exchange. We sent Sika deer and Taiwan Saro, a pair of each, in exchange for a pair of giant pandas. So in this case, we weren't renting the pandas. Therefore, any offspring born to the pandas would belong to us. In 2009, Tuan Tuan and Yuan Yuan made their Taipei debut. In just seven short days, visitors to Taipei Zoo surpassed 210,000 people. For the first time in its history, the zoo began issuing numbered tickets to guests to handle the massive influx of people. Each day, zookeepers rolled steamed grain dumplings to supplement the panda's diet. The zoo also sent people across the country to search for bamboo the pandas would eat. After some 20 samples were tested, a few favorites emerged, including aero bamboo from Hualien and tortoiseshell bamboo from Nantou. People are often under the impression that what pandas want to eat is the leaves of the bamboo plant, or maybe the softer parts of the plant. Actually, what we later discovered is that it enjoys eating the stalk. With regard to the size of the bamboo, it also doesn't have any special requirements. It just wants bamboo that it's two years old. 
Every stalk is washed and then they are assembled into three kilogram bundles and put into our fridge, where they are kept at a temperature of seven degrees Celsius. Since they lose water in the fridge, every half hour they are sprayed with mist for 45 seconds and then kept humidified. Experts from China came to Taiwan to teach caretakers about how to rear and breed the pandas. When three years went by with no signs of a pregnancy, the pandas' caretakers began investigating why. A constant temperature of between 18 and 22 degrees Celsius is more comfortable for them. When we kept the temperature constant, we lost the changes between the four seasons. And there was an issue with the lighting conditions. When the pandas are indoors, they don't notice the illumination as easily. For animals like pandas, whose sexual receptivity is seasonal, the effects of illumination are particularly great. Veterinarians and gynecologists perform artificial insemination on Yuan Yuan, performing the procedure seven times. After years of effort, it worked. On July 6, 2013, Yuan Yuan began breathing heavily, a sign of labor pains. After more than three hours of struggling, the clear and resonant cry of a panda cub broke out in the delivery room. Yuan Yuan's baby, Yuan Zai, had come into the world. First-time mother Yuan Yuan gently lifted her cub into her mouth before cautiously embracing her. Despite being so gentle, Yuan Yuan still scratched the cub's leg, leaving an 8-centimeter wound on its leg. To prevent an infection, mother and cub were separated for 45 days. Separated from Yuan Yuan by a fence, the zookeepers worked together, one distracting her with honey while the other milked her. It was all part of hand-rearing a newborn panda. On August 12th, Yuan Zai was finally returned to her mother. She hadn't seen her cup before that, but we simulated the experience for her, letting her practice parenting with a doll. However, when she saw her cub, she instantly recognized its scent. She made a noise that we had never heard before. A sound of sadness. It was a sound that makes you realize that living beings have a sense of connection. panda to be born and raised in Taiwan. Her popularity quickly surpassed that of her parents. In front of her visitors' cameras, she took to sleeping with her legs and arms outstretched, just like a person. At other times, she played with her bucket or climbed trees. Though pink at birth, she gradually grew a beautiful black and white coat. With Yuan Zai thriving, her mother Yuan Yuan recovered from her pregnancy and was soon fully recovered. With help from zoo conservationists, Tuan Tuan and Yuan Yuan were striving to have their second cub. Following six challenging attempts at artificial insemination, another girl was born on June 28, 2020.
Seven years after Yuan Zai, Yuan Yuan was mother of a newborn again. The second cub was nicknamed Zhou Zhou. When we do this panda research in Taiwan, basically we are hoping that this model can be applied to the Formosan black bear or to other endangered animals. So what we're saying is, if our artificial insemination panda breeding program turns out to be a success, then our current Formosan black bear breeding program will have a precedent to refer to. According to the World Wildlife Fund, the wild panda population fell to a low of 1,100 before slowly rising, reaching past 2,000 over the course of 30 years of effort. To date, they are no longer an endangered species and are classified instead of a vulnerable species. But even so, they have not escaped the threat of extinction. Due to its lovable appearance, the giant panda has found itself under the international limelight. Much less attention is paid to many other threatened species. Also in desperate need of a change in their fate. Under the influence of northeasterly winds and eastward migration of rain clouds over southern China, Monday will see a repeat of Sunday's wet and cool weather. The good news is this year's 13th storm, Typhoon Kujima, which was formed at 8 a.m. on Sunday, will not pose a threat to Taiwan, the Central Weather Bureau says. The current wave of rainy weather is expected to subside on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, the eve of mid-autumn festival, northeasterly winds will begin to strengthen again, raising the chances of rain in the northern and northeastern regions. Residents in these areas who hope to enjoy moon-gazing on mid-autumn festival will have to try their luck.